Hallelujah. Well, we're going to go ahead and continue on in our, our study into the book of 1 Corinthians. This is the ninth part of the message, and we are going to uh, break into chapter 6 today. And as always, I'll go ahead and start off with a quick recap of what happened last week. And last week, you remember, Paul started dealing with some some kind of tough stuff, some, some rough stuff that we have to, to recognize. And how many know you can't pick and choose which parts of the Bible that you want to follow? This, the whole thing is God's Word, and we have to deal with all of it. And that's one of the, the hardest parts and one of the best parts about going through uh, expositionally, you know, verse by verse, is we can't skip anything. We have to, to read it and try to discern what God is telling us through these things. And one of the things that Paul began to deal with was judgment. And nobody, especially in this country, nobody wants to talk about judgment. We can't judge anybody. And because of that, everything's allowed because heaven forbid you would judge somebody. Well, except for being a Christian. Apparently that's okay. You can judge people for being Christians. But anything else goes. And uh, if you don't, if you're not okay with what they're doing, then it obviously means you don't love them because people don't understand that you can disagree with somebody and still love them. I know that's true. I disagree with my wife. More often than we should probably, but I still love her. Just kidding. We never have any issues. She disagrees with me. That's the problem. <laughs> Hallelujah. But he began to, and he was dealing with sexual morality in the church as well, which is always a tough thing. It's, it's a really, sexual morality is a real tough one to deal with in the church because it never gets talked about because everyone's ashamed instead of dealing with the issues. But he starts dealing with judgment and how that, no, wait a, wait a second. We are supposed to judge other Christians. And we've probably heard our whole lives, no, you can't judge other people, but there are some aspects that we are to judge other Christians. Not for mistakes, not for, for, for messing up. We're never supposed to judge their heart or, or the, the condition of their salvation. But the truth is, is that, that if people are, are intentionally and willfully living in opposition to the Word of God, but claim to be a Christian, we need to take a stand. We need to hold Christians accountable. That's a fact. That's a truth. And this week we're going to go in and he's going to continue finishing up on part of this, this idea of judgment in the church and, and, and delve, delve into it a little bit more. And then we're also going to, to look today at, at uh, the idea of, of the types of people who don't inherit the kingdom of God. And I hope we get to it today because it's actually one I like to teach on because I think it's some stuff that's misunderstood quite heavily, particularly in the book of 1 Corinthians. But in order to get through what we have to get through today, let's go ahead and get started. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. So here's how we start. says, I, I wrote to you not to associate with these people. And the first thing that we can, we can pick from this passage, he starts with, I wrote to you in my letter. So this was, if you guys were here for the Bible study with Joseph and he talked about the missing letter, there obviously Paul wrote another letter to the Corinthian church. We don't know where it is. We don't, we don't uh, have it. It's often referred to as the lost letter. But it's obvious that he had written to them once before. He says, in my previous letter, I told you not to associate with sexually immoral people. And then he goes on saying, I don't mean everybody in this world, but he's going to get to the point where he's talking about, I was talking about people that claim to be a part of the church, but are living this way intentionally. And for whatever reason, either the Corinthian church has misunderstood what Paul was trying to say, or maybe they read it and said, wait a minute, Paul, that doesn't make any sense. 
if I'm not to associate with sexually immoral people, that means I'm pretty much can't associate with anybody. Because the truth is, is there's a lot of sexually immoral people in this world. Outside of the church, unfortunately inside of the church. But they, they, they didn't understand. They either, they either couldn't comprehend it or they, they had dismissed it entirely because it was an impossible thing to do. So Paul begins to say, you know what, let me explain this a little bit more. I want to make it clear that I'm not talking about unbelievers. He says, not at all meeting the sexual immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would, need, you would need to go out of the world. What he's saying is that if you wanted to never associate with these kind of people, you'd have to die. Because those kind of people live in this world. You couldn't live here. It's, we live in a sinful world. We live in a, fall, a fallen world. It is impossible to not associate with sinners. We see them where we work with, with sinners. We, we go to the store and we shop from them. We do all kinds of things. We deal with them at all times. The problem is, if we never associated with sinners, that would be a massive hindrance to the Great Commission. Because what does the Great Commission say? We go out into all the world and share the gospel. Well, if we could never associate with any of these people, how would we share the gospel with them? Paul is saying, you guys have misunderstood what I'm trying to tell you. The reality is, is that we need to understand that unbelievers are not going to act like Christians. And matter of fact, if you're a Christian and you are expecting people that aren't believers to act like Christians, you're kidding yourself. You're fooling yourself. It's also one of the reasons why we shouldn't judge unbelievers. That is true. We should not judge unbelievers. And Paul will describe that later. Who, who are they to me? Who are they? How am I to judge their lives? But it is foolish of us to expect them to act like Christians if they're not Christians. That's actually one of the things that, that drives me crazy about the whole political scene. Um, there's a lot of times when we talk about having to, to pass Christian laws and do all these things. Now, I agree that as a Christian, it is your duty to vote according to what you believe. You're going to have to read your word. You're going to have to make a decision based on, on what you believe and what the word says, who you're going to vote for, what you're going to support, so that hopefully the values that you value will be incorporated into the laws. But the truth is, is that no law is going to save this country or save the people in this country. We need to get people saved. If you want to see Christian laws, if you want to see all those kind, if you want to see that kind of stuff happening, because we're we're fooling ourselves if we expect unchristians to make laws that align with our values. That's just crazy. If we want to see the laws in this country change, what we need to do is get the people that are making the laws saved. And then we'll see a change in the values of this country. But the truth is, is that unbelievers will always will never act like Christians because they're not, and they're always going to sin because it's in their nature. The difference between uh, the, the world and us is that we have a new nature. We can actually live without sin because we've had that taken from us. That old man is dead and gone. We have a brand new nature inside of us, and we can live without sin. And we can finally live according to the standards that God has set forth because he has made that possible in us. But they can't, the, the book of Romans, Paul talks about before I was saved, I, I, I wanted to do the right thing, but I couldn't. So, but then I got saved and I finally could. And that's the truth in this world too. They're not going to act like Christians. But the reality is, is that we must interact with them. Paul says, I didn't mean 
for you not to talk to anybody. He didn't want them to become a, a introverted church where they never reached out to the world because nobody, I mean, how would they, how would anybody get saved if we couldn't talk to anybody? If we couldn't share the gospel with them, if we couldn't associate with them. If somehow we begin to look at them and, and, and think that they're not worthy of the gospel because they're not living how we are. Or if we look at them and think somehow if we go and minister, if we, if we, if we get near them, that it's going to rub on off, off on us or something. I, mean, I don't know what's going through their head in the Corinthian church or what's in our, in, in our eyes as well, but we need to be out there with those folks so we can share the gospel with them. But the truth is, like he said, in order to avoid all of this stuff, sexual immoral, the greedy, the swindlers, idolaters, we would have to go out of this world. We'd have to go meet Jesus if we were never going to interact with him ever again. So he continues on in 1 Corinthians 5.11, he says, But now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty. See, now he's going to clarify, this is what I actually meant. I didn't mean don't associate with people that do these things. I meant I want you to not associate with those who bear the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or a violer or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Basically what Paul was saying is I want you to stand up against Christians, Christians who claim to be Christians, but they're obviously living in direct opposition with what should have happened to them, the changed life that was inside of them. We must not associate with people that claim to be Christians on Sunday, but the rest of the week live just like the rest of the world. That's the idea. If we're going to claim to be Christians, let's live like Christians, amen? Let's live out on the outside what has actually been accomplished in us on the inside. And the reality is, is that when you get saved, when you get well and truly saved, something changes inside of you, and you begin to see a difference. And I want to be clear, I'm not talking about uh, uh, not messing up, not making a mistake. That's not what Paul's talking about either. He's not talking about people that are growing. He's not talking about the new believer that just got saved, but they're working through some stuff, and God's moving in them, and they're slowly... The difference is they're making a difference. They're moving forward. Things are changing. He's talking about the people that have dug their heels in and said, I'm going I'm to claim to be a Christian, but, but do whatever I want. With no, with no remorse, with no understanding, with not a care in the world. And he's saying believers must separate themselves from those who claim to be Christians, yet indulge in sins explicitly forbidden by the Scriptures, and then rationalize their actions. See, that's the biggest problem. It's not making the mistake. It's, it's, the, it's claiming that everything's okay. We can't, we can't allow... Uh, we can't rationalize sin in the church by saying, oh, that's what the world is doing. I talked to you guys uh, last week about a guy who said that Christians should, should stop using the Bible as their authority because it's outdated, and if we want to stay relevant with the country, then we need to, to, to just dump them. And I was like, I can't believe you'd even say something like that. Or we have people that are, that are in, the, in the spotlight for being Christians, and they, they, they make mistakes, and they do stuff, and instead of apologizing and, and recognizing the situation, they, they rationalize what they're doing. Or they just continue on in their sin while claiming to be someone they obviously aren't. But by rationalizing their sins and by people rationalizing this stuff, we're actually harming other people, other believers who belong to Christ. And we're, we're 
we're dragging our testimony, through the, we're tarnishing our testimony, we're tarnishing the name of Jesus. And the church has a responsibility to correct and restore those in fellowship with those who claim to be believers but live like they're not. And in the United States, we actually have a lot of that. We actually have a lot of cultural Christians. They claim to be Christians, but they only go to, to, to church on, on, on Easter and on, on Christmas. You know, they claim to be Christians, but there's nothing in their life that demonstrates that. And we have to be wary of those kinds of people. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to restore them. That's not what is, what's going on here. That's actually our first course of action always, is to draw people in to restore them back to a relationship with Christ. And like I said, he's not talking about people who have misstepped. Because if he was referring to people that made a mistake in their life that have misstepped, then that would include all of us. But the truth is, is that he's, as long as the, the scripture says the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up seven times. If you're getting back up, he's not talking about you. If you're reading this and you're thinking about times in your life where you maybe have failed or fallen, and you begin, is he talking about me? Am I the one that's not? If you're getting back up, no, he's not talking about you. If you've rationalized that sin in your life and you've decided that it's okay and there's a reason why he can be, you can be doing it, that's something you need to deal with. And the good news is it doesn't have to stop there. If this is you, if this is something in your life, then, then make a change. Begin moving forward. Get back up. Amen? As long as we get back up, we're okay. He's talking about those who are willfully living in sin. Who are rationalizing. And I've done my fair share of... Especially in my... I remember when I was a kid, I did all my fair share of rationalizing why this was okay. I remember... There was a uh, uh, a time when I was I was in my early twenties and uh, claimed to be a Christian. Definitely wasn't living like one. You know, it was, it was hit and miss when it suited me. And I remember I would go out to the bars and and uh, uh, and I would be drinking and and I tell people a Christian like you're not like any Christian I've ever known because yeah, I thought I took it as a compliment. When I, in retrospect, I look back now and I, I, was, I was doing nothing for the kingdom of God. I was actually tarnishing the name of Jesus by claiming to be a Christian. I figured that God had me on some holy mission to, to show people that Christians didn't have to live boring lives. When the reality was I wasn't living like a Christian. I've been there myself. And I thank God that, that even in our own stupidity and our messing up and, and willful stubbornness, God can still turn us around and use us. And we don't have to remain that way. You know, if someone is, is acting in such a way, we need to stand up and encourage them. Tell them the truth in love. And like I've told you before, what does that mean? It doesn't mean to point out their failures, but instead to point out Jesus' success in their life. And remind them of their position in Him, their strength in Him, their courage in them, that they are free, that they are forgiven that they can live the life that he's called them to live. Because the reality is, is that sin for the believer is out of character. Sin in the believer's life should be rare. And you should know it when you've done it. It should make you feel wrong. Not because somehow if you feel guilty, that makes it okay. That's you know, you have to feel guilty enough or God's not going to forgive you. God could care less about your, your guilt if he's going to forgive you. Now, he, he sent his son to the cross to forgive you. 
You don't have to feel guilty enough to be forgiven. You just have to continue placing your faith in Jesus to be forgiven. But the reason why you feel weird is because it is in contrast and opposition to who you are as a Christian. You have a new nature inside of you, and you are doing something that is in, that is, that is, it's, it's like rubbing the wrong way against it. That's why you feel weird when you, when you sin, because that's not who you are. You're acting out of character. And when we stop feeling that, that's the problem. Because at that point, we begin to rationalize what we're doing. And we never want to be in that position. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13, it says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. There is a difference between believers and non-believers. And that's the relationship with Jesus Christ. And those who are not believers are to be met where they are, even in their sin. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the, one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing. This means that we can meet people where they are. This means that we can associate with the sinners of this world. This, actually, we have to. We need to share the guy. When we see them, well, it should break our hearts. That's why Paul said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel, because he cared about these people. God had placed a purpose in his heart. And we see them. We need to be able to share with them. That means to meet them with them. That actually means to not judge them for where they are. The, the problem with people that judge unbelievers for where they are is because they forget where they once came from. They forget that that's, they were sitting in that exact same place at one point. So we meet them where they are. And we just love them and, and show them that, that God loves them and show them the love of Christ through our actions in order that we might win some of them. However, in the church, we're required to make some judgments. And like I said, it's not the condition of somebody's heart that we're to judge. What business do we have judging another, uh, how, how somebody is, their relationship with Christ? Now, obviously, in this case, we can see some evidence of somebody's relationship with Christ. If they're, if they're willfully living in sin, we're supposed to deal with that. And it's obvious if somebody's living like that, there's some, there's some issues in that area. But we're not to judge the condition of a person's heart. We're not to, to, to judge the direction of someone's ministry. Who are we to judge another man's servant? We're not to criticize people by gossiping about them. And we're not to make rash judgments about who people are or what they're doing. But we are to deal and judge with those who claim to be believers but are living sinless or sin, sinful and rebellious lives. And the truth is, even in that case, those need to be people that we have some sort of relationship with so we can speak into their lives. I'm not going to go to California and walk into somebody's church and, and start 
dealing with, with their situation because it's not mine. But in this church, we, will, we would have to deal with that. People that were living that way, we would have to, to, to make a stand and say, this isn't okay. And I want to make it clear, too, that there's a difference between new believers and those who have been in the church for a long time. Because new believers are going to come in with baggage. How many of you know that? You know, one of the things that I've, I've been asked and I've often thought about, particularly in today's climate, is, is uh, there's a couple of them that are pretty common. It's one, you know, if, if somebody that was homosexual came into the church, would we, would we let them come in? Well, of course we'd let them come in. We don't appreciate, we, we don't agree with what they're doing, but we still love them. Christ still went to the cross for them. Christ loved them enough to die for them, then we can love them enough to let them in the building. Amen? And we want to share the love of God with them. And I believe that if they come in and, and they, they, they are, are touched by the hand of God, then God will begin to help them deal with that issue in their life. And he will give them the strength to move forward and deal with the temptation of that sin, just like every other sin that we have to deal with as well. Now, if someone's been get saved and they're with the church for a long time and there's, there's, there's no attitude of change or, or any, any kind of forward momentum, at some point we're going to have to deal with it. But we're definitely going to give them time if they're a new believer. Same with another one that's, that's, that's a little less, uh, this is one that people have to think about. What about people that come in who are, who are claiming to be Christians and they're living together, but they're not married? That hits a little bit close to home because there are some of us that have family members that are like that. And we've had family members like that in the church. We didn't kick anybody out of the church. We let them come in because we wanted to get them saved. But you better believe, had they committed, we'd be dealing with that. We'd be getting them married. It happened to me. When I first started going to Living Hope Family Church in, in uh, Tucson, my wife and I were living together. We weren't married. And uh, it's actually, I think, the first thing the pastor ever said to me. He said, how you doing? I said, fine. He says, you living with Michelle? I said, yes. He goes, when are you going to make an honest woman out of her? Like the first thing he ever said to me. And we got married a month later. Because what are your options? You either keep on pretending or you move forward in Christ and God. But he dealt with it. He said, you know what, if you're going to, essentially, if you're going to be coming here, we have to deal with this situation. And, that, and that's just how it is. We can't continue to, to let that stuff imperviate the church because it just makes the church look like the rest of the world. But like I said, there is a difference between new believers coming in who are growing and working through this stuff and those who have been Christians their entire life. At some point, we have to grow up. We have to stop eating the, 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 the milk of the Word and start eating solid food. We have to grow up. Amen? But Paul said, on the inside, you're to purge the evil persons living among you. That's the, that really what that is, is the final straw. You know, that's the, the last act. You know, this is, Paul's not talking about this should be the first thing that we're doing. We're going to work with people. We want to restore people. We want to, to help them live the life that God called them to live. But at some point, if there is, if there is, is no choice to change, if they've, put their foot down and says, no, I'm going to do this thing, then at this point, there, there comes a point when, when, when you have to ask them to leave. And that's what happened here in this church. There was a guy who married his, his, his dad's wife, 
And it was a big mess, and nobody dealt with it, and there was no choice to change. There was no, there was no remorse. This is, he said, I'm doing this, and, and even the outside world was looking and going, man, even we wouldn't do that. But Paul said, sometimes you have to purge the people from among you. And it's not a trivial thing. It's not something you take lightly. It's not used for revenge, and it's not for trivial. We're not talking about because two members in the church get upset with one another. You know, we're not talking about, you know, someone gets their, 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 their door dinged in the parking lot, so we've got a feud, and, and uh, you know, if they can't figure it out, then they're out of here. I mean, this is, this is some for serious stuff here that he's dealing with. Unresolved sin that's, that's unconfronted and undealt with. But we're to confront and, and those that are, that are acting that way. And I want to be clear as well that, that some things will be handled as a church, but there is a reason for church leadership as well. This is not a, 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 this stuff has to be done in order. You know, it's, it's not for all of us to go out there and pointing fingers, because then it just turns into gossip. If we're just all pointing fingers and making judgment calls, it's just gossip. That's not what Paul's talking about. And we have to be very careful when we read this kind of stuff to, to get to the bottom of what that is. That's why there is church leadership. If there is an issue to be dealt with, unfortunately, that falls on my shoulders. And if it's something that the church has to be involved with in this particular case in Corinthian, he said, no, the church needs to come together and stand together and say that we're not going to stand for that. Then that's, that's what would have to happen. I pray to God that it never happens. We have to deal with that because just like anybody else, I'm not a big fan of confrontation either. But if, it, if it's something that has to be done, it will be done. Amen? So now Paul goes from this, uh, he kind of changes gears a little bit. And to, in 1 Corinthians 6, 1, he says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to, the, to law before the unrighteous instead of saints? And it kind of piggybacks on top of that, talking about dealing with, with judgment and those things. But now we're running into an issue with people in the church are at each other's throats. They're, they're not happy with each other. They're dragging them into court to get, get what they want. You know, kind of that example I used a second ago, somebody got a door ding in the parking lot, and instead of coming together in love and, and working together to fix the issue, they're, instead they're dragging each other to court trying to, trying to get what they want out of what, what the situation is. And the church in Corinth was rapidly losing their testimony before the rest of the world. And that's something we always have to keep in mind when we think about the things that we're doing because we actually, people, when people look at you, when people look at the church, they see Jesus and they attribute anything that we do to Jesus, even though it's the stuff that we do. And what happens is, is people go, why would I want to be a Christian? Look at the way that they act. Not only do they not look any better than the world, in many ways they look worse than the world. Why would I want to be a Christian? So the church, this, this, this church in Corinth is losing its testimony to the rest of the world because not only do they have sexually immoral stuff going on, they've got kids taking their father's wives, now they've got people, looks, apparently they have people suing each other and are at each other's throats. They have the whole pride thing going, no, I'm better than you, no, you're, I'm better than you. And not only do the, the, the unsafe people know about this, they know what's going on in the church. And it's causing a problem. The Greeks in general, and the Athenians in particular, were known for their involvements in the courts. Matter of fact, the Greek playwright Aristophanes, in one of his plays, has one of his characters look at a map and says, point out Greece. And the guy goes, well, it's right there. And he goes, wait a minute, that, that can't be Greece. I can't see any, any uh, court cases going on right now. 
It was that they, they knew they understood the court system then. It was such an integral part that they, they were making jokes about it in their plays. It was political irony, probably. What was going on there? And the United States has kind of got a reputation like that. And I don't know when these statistics were from, um, probably last probably five or ten years ago, but it said over two hundred thousand civil suits were filed in the federal courts in a twelve month period. Nearly one million lawyers and the numbers are increasing, were handling those, those court cases. And in one year, more than 12 million suits were filed in the state courts. Where we're beginning to see that, I mean, people will sue everybody for everything. But Paul is saying that, you know what, disagreeing Christians shouldn't look like the rest of the world. They should not have to file a lawsuit with a secular court to resolve differences and disagreements from among them. And why does Paul make this point? Why is this such a big deal to Paul? It's to point out that, one, the judge and the jury aren't Christians, or may not be. And they would likely not be sensitive to Christian values. Matter of fact, if you were dealing with something with Christian values, the, the opposition would be trying to get everybody that is a Christian off of the jury because they want them to vote in their favor. Oftentimes, the basis for, for court is just revenge. You're trying to get back at somebody, particularly civil court. And that should never be a Christian's motive. Once again, we're dealing with the believers presenting a poor testimony to the lost around them. And this day, in this day and age, and even the, the Jewish courts, they had their own court system. They did, the Jews didn't take each other to the, to the Roman courts or the Greek courts. They dealt with it internally. And basically, they're taking the problems of believers and basically taking them to whoever will listen. They're taking them out into the world. And the problem with that is it's, it's not that we don't want the world to know that we, don't, that, that we have problems. You know what? We're people. We do dumb stuff. We have issues. Like I always tell you guys, we're a family. We're going to have problems. We're going to fight. We're going to bicker. But we're still going to love each other afterwards. But the problem with making that kind of stuff public is that it begins to look, they begin to look at us and they only see our problems instead of for the purpose that we're here, which is to share Christ with them. Paul's saying, don't take this stuff out in the streets because once again we're dealing with that tarnishment of the reputation of Jesus. And then second, that the, the church had failed to live up to its full position in Christ. We're going to read about it a little bit more in a second, but how many of you guys know that the, the saints will, will participate in judgment of angels? But we're going to read about it here in a second. And if we're going to be participating in that kind of court, how can we not settle differences among us here on earth? And then the Corinthians, they're boasting of their great spiritual gifts, right? If they have such great spiritual gifts, why don't they use them to discern some judgment between bickering church members? Now, this isn't to say there are certain cases that have to be taken to the legal systems. And, and that's just how it is. You know, particularly as a pastor or anybody that works with children, you're legally obligated to report abuse. You're legally obligated to report those kind of things. Obviously, we're going to, to do the right thing in those situations. But yeah, if somebody is dinged your card, or let's work it out. And if you guys can't work it out, let's get together with some of the leadership of the church and let's work it out. And that's, what we're, that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about. And he goes on in 
1 Corinthians 6, 2 through 4, it says, Or do you not know the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? He says, do you not know? He says this six times over the next few verses. And this is the first of those six, and it's, it's concerning our role as saints in judging. And the reality is, is that he's saying, do you not know? He, he probably already taught this to them. Well, this is stuff that they should have known. But by going to the, to the pagan authorities to settle disputes, they were acting beneath their dignity. They were acting beneath what they had been qualified by Jesus Christ to take care of. And they should have been able to settle these disputes among themselves. Because one day, we're going to judge the world. We're going to judge angels. In 2 Timothy 2.12, it says, If we endure, we will also reign with him. And because of this truth, we shouldn't have to take our disputes into the, into the world because it would be a poor witness. It shows lack of unity. And if we are going to have the responsibility to do this, how can we not judge the little stuff between ourselves? How can we not deal with that? Because we're going to judge angels. And then as I was researching this and studying this, it seems to be scholars are divided or a little unsure what he's talking about. But it could mean that he's referring to the Christians are going to, to take part in judging the devil and his and his demons, which are fallen angels. Or it could mean that the Christians will judge angels in the sense that we will preside over angels when we reign with Christ. I don't know exactly what it is. But the point is that in light of the privileges that will belong to the believers in the future, we should be able to resolve ordinary disagreements here on earth. If this is what we're going to be doing one day, how can we not deal with the little stuff? Amen? But the problem was is that there was problems going on in this church. The very same people that were acting with pride and arrogance couldn't even handle a simple disagreement between members of the church. And like I said, this isn't to say that nothing ever goes to court. There are some things that has to. If somebody murders someone in the church, I'm calling the cops. You know, like, <laughs> there's some stuff that's got to be dealt with. And they don't have to let Viola pray for him. And she's, she, she wants, she is just biting at the heels to, to come across someone who's dead and raise him from the dead. Actually, that's what we should be doing. Yeah, that's crazy. She thinks she can pray for somebody and raise the dead? I, yeah, I think that power is available to us today. We just need to be crazy enough to believe that God will do what he says he's going to do. Trust him. And like I said, there's, Abuse and stuff that we're gonna that'll have to go to the to the courts because that's that's what's legally right. But for all the other stuff, we can we can solve that in the church. Now I thank God that's not an issue that I'm aware of here. We don't have that going on. But if we ever come to that point where somebody does have a disagreement, I would pray that we could work together and get through it instead of of, of having people fight or, or going outside the system or having people leave the church. Because we are a family, and we're going to fight. Ask my sister. We've had some knockdown drag outs, put holes in walls and doors and all kinds of stuff. But we still love each other, and we're still brother and sister. That's never going to change. We're always there for one another. She's one of the people that can make me the maddest, but she's someone I know that in a blink of an eye would be there for me 
if I ever needed her. And the same is true. I think that's the problem with family. The people that are closest to you are the easiest to tick you off because they, you know that they're going to love you anyway, no matter what you do. But as a family, let's, you know, let's not fall into the same trap. You know, that's something that as we grow as a church to be aware of. When we read the Scriptures, it's not, it's not just for God to point out failures in the past. It's for us to learn. So we can look at this and say, hey, let's make sure we don't fall into that same trap as we grow, as we get bigger. Instead, let's remain a family and work with one another and get through it. Amen? 1 Corinthians 6, 5 through 6, he says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? Paul's dealing with that pride again that they had. He says, I say this to your shame. Acting in great arrogance, they couldn't settle simple disputes. Church members are at each other's throats. They're taking each other to the court. And instead of using wisdom and sincerity from the Holy Spirit and discernment from the Holy Spirit, which was available to them as believers, how many know that, that you can ask God to give you wisdom? The Scripture says if you ask God for wisdom, He gives it generously and without reproach. And that's available to us in these situations. But instead, they're suing each other, dragging them to court in front of unbelievers. Once again, making a point, what kind of witness is that? How much better would it be for Christians to live above such matter? Dealing with with simple matters of disagreement within the congregation, calling the leaders and say, hey, we just need someone to help us walk through this, to talk through this, to, to work it out. And in doing so, not only do we handle stuff scripturally, not only do we strengthen the church, or we strengthen our bond between one another, but at the same time, we're not dragging Jesus' name through the mud in the outside world. 1 Corinthians 6, 7-8, through 8, it says, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. To be at the point of suing one another, Paul saying that you're already at a point of defeat. You've already lost. Paul says it's better to suffer wrong and be defrauded than to do the same thing to somebody else. That's what Paul's basically saying here. He says, he says why, not, why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But instead, you do the exact same thing that you're upset to them about. Why not just, just take it and deal with it? Now, this is actually a tough process to go through because I think innately we are born with this this sense of justice. We all think that, you know, so-and-so's got to get theirs. Anybody ever felt that way? People think they deserve what they get? We all think that way. I'm glad God doesn't. Because if we all got what we deserved, we wouldn't be here this morning. But instead, he gave us something we didn't deserve. He gave us His Son. He took away everything that we deserved and gave us something we didn't deserve, which is a brand new life in His Son. We forget that to act in this way, to, to turn it on its head, to do the same thing back to somebody else instead of forgiving, to act in this way is to refuse to forgive even as we have been forgiven. 
And the reality is, if you want something to think on, when we act in this way, the truth is, is the only way you can act in this way is to have some level of disbelief in how much you were forgiven. Because if you were fully aware of what you've been forgiven, you would forgive without even thinking about it. It's like the story of the man who was forgiven from a large debt from the king. And the king says, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and forgive you all of your debt. And then he took off after the the low-level slave and says, hey, you owe me like five bucks. I need it right now. And he begins to choke him and drags him before the courts. Why do you think that guy did that? Because he actually didn't believe he was forgiven that bigger debt. He thought that somehow he was going to have to pay it back. He just thought it was coming at some point. So he began to try to retrieve whatever he could. And that's what happens to us. If we really understood how completely and fully forgiven that we are, it would be so much easier to forgive others. And on a tangent, to forgive others doesn't mean to declare what they did was okay. Forgiving others has nothing to do with what that they did. It doesn't, it doesn't invalidate the hurt that you're feeling. But what it is is a recognition of what has been done for you. Complete forgiveness. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5, 39-42, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the attitude that we should be taking amongst ourselves, particularly in the church. If somebody hurts you, forgive them. Let's work through it. Move on. And let's not fall into the same trap that we're being warned against right here, that we're being taught. Like I said, this isn't a history lesson. This is to help us as a church grow and not fall into the same things. First Corinthians 6, 9-10 through 10 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So basically what he's saying is, is that he's talking about all the way these people are acting. They're defrauding one another, they're they're immoral, they're dragging each other to the court, they're swindlers, they're doing all these things. And he says, but do you not know that these type of people, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, none of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to know, if you're not, if you're not sure, he's referring to all manner of sin. It's not just this list of sin. People that are, that are, are these type of people, by nature, will not make it into the kingdom of heaven. Now the problem is that this is a true statement. But many of us have interpreted what it's saying in an incorrect manner. And here's what I mean by that. Many people have said they, they get saved and they, 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 God does something in their life. And then they make a mistake. Or they remember their past and they read this and go, wait a minute, how could I even get into heaven? I've done some of the things on this list. How could I get into heaven? And we begin to apply that inappropriately to our lives. And I'll, I'll dig in a little more as we go to the next verse. But Paul is obviously dealing with a church that is doing these kinds of things. This church is messing up. They're messing up big time. they got all kinds of nonsense going on. 
And I imagine that every single one of these things was happening in this church, and Paul wants to deal with that. He says, hey, do you guys not know that people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God? And if we stop there, that actually puts us all in a dire situation. If we stop there, if we don't read the next verse, that puts us, I mean, you know when you read the scriptures, you can't, take, you can't pick and choose and take stuff out of context. You kind of got to read around the verses to see what's being talked about here. Matter of fact, this whole book of 1 Corinthians, you almost have to look at this thing in a lot of ways as a whole because he's dealing with all kinds of stuff. But he says, none of these people are getting into heaven. But then he goes on to say, and such were some of you. But, Pastor Mike used to always said, you need to have your butts in the right places. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, here's the bit that if we don't take this into account, we begin to mess ourselves up on the inside. We begin to have the wrong idea of what's going on. Paul isn't saying, hey, you Corinthian church, you screwed up, so now you're not going to heaven. What he's saying is, hey, Corinthian church, why are you acting like this when that's not who you are? He says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that is so, why would you act like these kind of people who aren't going to go to the kingdom of heaven? He says, that's not who you were. That's how it's who you were. It's not who you are now. It's obvious the people in the Corinthian church were doing these things. And Paul is saying, guys, Get your heads out of your butt. This isn't who you are anymore. You were law. You were these kind of people, but instead act like who you are in Christ now. Stop dragging each other to court because that's what unbelievers do. That's not what believers do. Stop doing sexually immoral things and taking your father's wives because that's what unbelievers do. That's not what believers do. That's who you. That's just the kind of stuff that you used to do. It's not the stuff that you do now. And as a result of Jesus Christ, the work that he's done inside of us, we've been washed. Our sins are forgiven. We are as clean as the the driven snow. We were sanctified. That means we were set apart for him. We were justified. That means as far as the law is concerned, we are just. We are all that stuff that should have been paid has been paid. The debt is gone. We are completely in the black. And that's because of Jesus Christ and the work He's done for us. And as a matter of fact, when we choose to do those things after we've been saved, we're basically saying that what Jesus Christ did, it was worthless in our life. We're basically saying that it was worth nothing. But the truth is, is that's who we were. Let's stop acting like who we were and start acting like who we are now. Amen? So that would be my challenge to you, church. Particularly if there's any areas in your life that you are being stubborn with or you're trying to rationalize away. Remember, that's who you were. It's not who you are anymore. Live the way you are now. Well, how do I know who I am now, Pastor Wayne? Spend time in your Word. If you want to know who you are, spend time and see passages like this that tell you who you are. The Book of Romans will tell you who you are. Ephesians will tell you who you are. Begin to read, particularly in the New Testament, over and over, you're going to learn who God is and you're going to learn who you are in Him. And you're going to begin to realize things 
you're like, man, I, I feel like I'm enslaved to this sin that's got to control me in my life. But you begin to read his word, and you begin to hear the message, and you be like, wait a minute, I am free in him. And you begin to put scriptures like that on your wall and read them every day. The scripture says to, to, to meditate on his word. And actually what that, the, the word is better translated to mumble. What that means is to say his word, to read it and to say it. Not, not Eastern meditation. That's about emptying your mind. We don't want to empty your mind. We want to fill it with the word of God. And you'll begin to see these things. You'll begin to see your life change. Because that's who you are on the inside. So let's be a people who choose to live on the outside who we are on the inside. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.